This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hey, everybody, it's Scott Pinneard, head coach at This Naked Mind, and I'm back with another edition of Coaching Questions. Uh, I've got four questions picked out for us today, so I'm going to dive right in. Uh, The first one reads like this. Hi, Scott. I have a question about transitions. It seems like each year they sneak up on me. Kids getting out of school, summer ending, kids going back to school, the holidays, and so on. And along with these transitions, my urges to drink seem to sneak up on me as well. I'm curious what you would suggest about these transitions and how to best handle them while living alcohol-free. This is a fantastic question because, uh, yeah, it happens. You know, I remember when I was a kid, and I can't remember who told me. I want to say it was my grandparents or an aunt and uncle or someone. Um, you know, I was complaining about how long the school year was, and they said, "Oh, just wait. The older you get, the faster it goes." Um, and boy, has that held true in my experience. Um, and so I know exactly what you mean about these things sneaking up on you. It seems like all of a sudden the kids are starting school and then before I know it, it's Christmas. Uh, and then before I know it, it's summer again. Um, and yeah, it can be surprising. And along with these transitions, uh, we transition to kind of a new way, uh, a new normal, right? Um, and that means that routines that we've established go out the window, right? Instead of driving the kids to school in the morning and then going to pick them up, uh, which which we'd been used to for a while, all of a sudden they're here all the time, or we gotta drive them to camp, or we're going on a vacation, right? These things happen, um, and this change in routine can absolutely bring uh, some unexpected triggers. Um, so I do have a few ideas about this and things that might help. The first one um, is, uh, is, is to have your own routine that changes no matter what. Um, now, obviously, uh, this is going to be different uh, for everyone. I'm going to talk about what mine is. But the bottom line is having things that you're doing for you each day, no matter where you are or what's going on, um, that's going to help provide some consistency for you. Um, and if you can connect that to your alcohol-free journey, even better. So, you know, my daily routine includes getting up and before I do anything else, I've, I do a little bit of reading um, and I journal. There's other things I add on to that most of the time if I can, but a bit at a bare minimum. And I mean, this can be like 10, 15 minutes. It's a little bit of reading and my journaling. Um, and I do that no matter what time of year it is, no matter if the kids are in school or out of school, if I'm at home, if I'm not at home, it literally doesn't matter where I am. I can get that 15 minutes um, and do that. Now, what that does for me is it grounds me for the day, right? This writing in my journal and writing about my thoughts, writing about how I'm feeling helps express things. And uh, if any of you have been in our programs, you've heard that I'm a huge fan of journaling. I'm big on it. Uh, And it was instrumental for me in my process of going alcohol-free because it gave me a place to express. It gave me a place to talk about what I was feeling and what I was experiencing. And through doing that, through expressing that, I was able to process it more efficiently. Um, So whether it is journaling for you, uh, whether it's reading for you, you know, for some people, it's getting up and doing some sort of exercise. Um, It doesn't matter really what it is, but have some sort of foundational habit um, that you do every day and ideally at the same time every day um, through all of these transitions, right? Through the school year, through the summer, uh, 
um, through the holidays, at home, away, whatever it is, um, whatever your circumstance is, if you can do that every day, you're going to give yourself a sense of consistency, which is really helpful. Also, if it includes journaling, you can talk about those triggers when they come up, right? You can talk about, man, I cannot believe that my kids are home for the summer already. It really makes me think of sitting on the back deck and having a beer, right? And just the act of expressing that, the act of seeing that, um, can be massively helpful um, in thinking through how to, how to work your way through it. Um, so that's one idea. Another idea, um, which I really like this one, I've started doing this myself as well, is celebrating those transitions. Um, so often what happens is these things come at us and we're like, oh no, right? We get scared, we get worried, we get stressed out about what they mean for us. And so what we end up doing uh, is we end up fearing them and causing stress in our own life. Um, I try to take the exact opposite approach now. Uh, every time one of these transition comes up, as a matter of fact, my kids just started school. It was uh, three weeks ago. Um, I celebrate that, right? I talk to them about it. I spend time thinking like, this is really amazing. You know, my son, my, my youngest just started kindergarten. Um, so reflecting on that, reflecting on this last five years with him, reflecting on how big of a step this is. Uh, talking with my daughter who's in fourth grade. Um, she's starting at a new school. She's doing things a little bit differently, um, but really taking the time to be mindful about the transition, mindful about how schedules are gonna shift. Um, instead of dictating to them, here's what we're gonna do, sit down and talk to them about it. Like, hey guys, we gotta be at the bus at 8.30. What time do you want me to get you up? How do you want the mornings to run? Right, being very deliberate about setting up those routines and being excited about this change of routine. Um, basically what I'm saying is just take a different approach. Take it away from, oh, another shakeup to this is gonna be fun. We're gonna make this fun. We're gonna make this better. Um, having that mindset going into it can make a huge difference. Um, and finally, just embrace it. Uh, because at the end of the day, there is nothing you're gonna be able to do about it, right? These transitions happen. Um, and if my grandparents were right, they're gonna happen faster and faster and faster for all of us. Um, so the easier we can make it and the better mindset we can have about it, the easier it's gonna be for us to just sail right through these transitions and any urges that come with them uh, alcohol-free. Um, one uh, last thing about this, in terms of the idea of uh, these hidden triggers coming up, um, same idea there as with embracing the transition is be grateful for that, right? The fact that you feel that coming up, that you're aware of it, uh, means you now know. And maybe you need to make some changes to your environment or the people you're around or your routines or whatever whatever you decide that solution is. The fact is all change happens on the other side of awareness. And so if you become aware, oh man, it's really a trigger for me to be, I don't know, hanging out at the bus stop with everyone else waiting for the kids. You know, I want to go up there with, uh, you know, I want to go up there and then maybe go hang out at a neighbor's house and drink wine. That's awesome because when you become aware of it, you can actually do something about it. Um, so I hope that's helpful. I know it's 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 this, it's this never-ending cycle. Um, and holidays, really, I cannot believe that's only a couple of months away right now. Uh, I'm recording this uh, on September uh, in September, and it's uh, I can't believe that. I'm shocked by that. So uh, anyway, I hope that's helpful. Question number two reads like this. I've had seven weeks of alcohol-free living this year at the, f at the first of the year. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, in March, I went on vacation and started drinking again. I haven't drank every night like before, but it's been a struggle. 
consciously. I know I want to be alcohol-free for the rest of my life, but still struggle with social events, beers after athletic events, etc. I've taken you at face value in deciding not to try to stop drinking again entirely because I think what you're saying is that I need to walk through the entire change in belief process before this will really stick. I've continued struggling to make the statement that I never want to drink again, but consciously want to, and it makes me crazy. I assume this is the cognitive dissonance at work. I have a family holiday get-together coming up in November, and it is a drink fest, and I'd like to be alcohol-free for it, but worry that I won't be ready. Any thoughts? Uh, What a great question. So yeah, you know, one thing that I hear a lot of uh, when people come into our programs is concern, uh, being scared. The term forever uh, might sound really good when you're hungover, right? Might sound really good when you've had a bad experience, a bad night, um, whatever whatever the circumstances are. It might be you know, saying to yourself, I am never going to drink again. Sounds like a great idea. The problem is this. As time goes on, forever becomes a very, very long time. And so what can happen for a lot of us is we start to say, man, I'm barely getting through a day. How am I ever going to get through forever? Uh, Forget it. I'm just going to pour a drink. Um, And this is common. And I hear this from a lot of people. And so this is why we ask people in this process to set a manageable goal, an attainable goal. The idea is, you know, a lot of people choose 30 days. Uh, There's nothing particularly magical about that other than, you know, if you start a program in the beginning of the month and you get to the end of the month, it kind of coincides with certain things. But, you know, choosing this smaller amount of time because it's manageable, because we can understand it. Um, One way I like to ask people to look at it is they'll tell me, well, I'm going to quit drinking forever. And then I will immediately ask them back, where are you going to be and what are you going to be doing in five years? And they'll just look at me like, "I, I don't know. Well, that's the point, right? You can project out 30 days. You can project out 90 days, maybe even a year. Um, but the long, the farther you go into the future, the less likely it is because we have no concept of what's going to happen. We just don't know. And so trying to force in some rule about being alcohol-free forever is really difficult because we can barely get our heads around how that how that you know latches into our life now let alone where we're going to be and what we're going to be doing one two five ten years from now um, and so that's why forever tends to scare people it tends to be a really tough thing so Yes, absolutely. Love the idea of breaking it down into smaller chunks and being able to walk through the entire change process. That takes time. Um, And so that's why we that's another reason that we ask uh, for you to, to figure out a chunk. Right. Because what you can do, let's say you decide 30 days. So um, it's the day before you're going to quit drinking and you say, all right, starting tomorrow, I'm not drinking for 30 days. And and this is key. At the end of that 30 days, I'm going to reassess. But over this next 30 days, I am living alcohol-free and I'm going to experience the ups and the downs. I'm going to experience what life has to offer without alcohol. You do two really key things when you do that. The first one is what I was just talking about in terms of breaking it down into an understandable uh, chunk of time that you can get your head around. The second thing that you do is you take the pressure off yourself, right? Instead of saying forever or instead of saying, oh man, I don't know if I'm going to drink today, you've taken that decision about if you're going to continue continue to drink or not, and you've put it very specifically in the future. Um, And so you know, you can even know the date, right? You can even know, let's say it's October 1st and you quit drinking. You can say, I am reevaluating this on October 31st. And it's just a, it's a pressure relief valve. 
Um, you know that that decision date is coming. You know that the door isn't closed forever, but you also know that over the next 31 days, you're going to be focusing on living alcohol-free. So that's massively, massively helpful. Um, I think what you're getting at in the question here about making the statement that I never want to drink again, but consciously wanting to, that is absolutely the cognitive dissonance. Um, and that is another sign that what you, what we would recommend at that point is really continuing to learn. If you're alcohol-free, absolutely stay alcohol-free. But the idea behind the Naked Mind methodology is we're not asking you to go and live your life um, not drinking when you really want to, right? What we're asking you to do is learn about alcohol, make a decision about what you actually want with it and live that way. And by the way, that decision isn't permanent. You can change your mind as you go through things. When you set a goal of 30 days, you get through that 30 days and maybe you say, you know what, I want to try moderation or you know what, this was great, I'm going to try 60. Um, but the more that you're intentional about it, the better off you're going to be. However, when that cognitive dissonance pulls up, when that idea of, wait a minute, I think I might want to drink or I think maybe it would be a good idea if I had a drink and just, you know, take the edge off, whatever, whatever the, the phrase is that pops into your head. Um, that's a great opportunity to look around and see, all right, why am I thinking this? Um, one of my favorite tactics on that is what do I need right now? This idea that for a long time we've had needs, needs that we've met with alcohol, right? We've had needs that we've met by drinking. So I'm stressed out, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm lonely, uh, whatever it is, uh, we end up uh, drinking because of those things and we kind of lose our ability to really figure them out. So when you're in the middle of one of these times and you're trying not to drink and then the idea comes up, man, I would like a drink, asking yourself at that moment, well, why? Why do I want to drink, right? What do I need? That can be really, really enlightening. Um, now, in terms of that idea of making the statement, I'm never going to drink again, but consciously wanting to, I would encourage you not to do it. If you don't feel it, then you don't need to do it, right? If you don't feel like forever is a manageable thing for you, if you feel like it's too big of a concept, or if there's part of your brain that's still saying, you know, maybe not forever, that's fine, right? Come to a length of time that's going to work for you where you can say, all right, this, this I can do 30 days, 60 days, 15 days, five days. It, it literally doesn't matter. The idea is that you have this time frame that you're working through um, and you do it deliberately. Um, and the more you do that, the more you put off that decision about whether you're going to drink again until the end of that time period, the more data you can collect about living alcohol-free and the better decision you can make at the end of that period. Um, so that was a lot of information in that. And I, you know, I hope that that's really helpful. Uh, my last point on that is this, this drunk fest you have coming up in November, which see time is moving very quickly. I cannot believe that November's right around the corner. Um, so, uh, you know, about that, you know, drunk fest, I think the question really remains for you um, is, is what, where are you going to be? And, and I, you know, I think deciding what you want to do for now um, in terms of alcohol makes sense um, to set that goal. And so if you set that goal for, say, you set it for three months or say you're in the middle of your 30 days when you get to your family get together in November, um, then great. You've already made a decision, right? You don't need to consciously reconsider it. Yes, you, there may be some, some times when you feel, man, I'd like a drink. Um, but again, that's another time to go back to this. What do I need right now? And what makes sense for me right now? Um, so I think this, a lot of this boils down to making a decision that isn't a forever decision. You know, that is a temporary decision that is 
30 days, uh, two weeks, again, whatever whatever works for you. Um, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, and whatever happens in that 30 days, you're gonna handle. You know, One way or another, you're going to handle it. And I think if you know that and you're resolute about that, that can really, really help you. Um, it will also, it'll also almost eliminate that cognitive dissonance um, because you'll know, all right, yeah, fine. You know, there, there's a voice in my head that's saying I want to drink and, you know, I'm going to revisit that in 30 days in the next week, whatever, whatever that is for you. So I hope that's, I hope that's helpful. Um, but yeah, forever is a thing that trips up a lot of people. All right. Question number three. Uh, I have an issue that I'm realizing my only form of quote unquote self-care was wine. <laughs> I care, it was scotch for me, so I completely understand that. Um, I cared for my kids, I cared for my clients, I cared for my community through what I did for them, but I focused all of my self-care on drinking. So now that that's gone, what do I do? Help! Um, that's a that's a great question. It's a very open-ended question, um, but it's really true. And you know that is actually that's something else that I hear from a lot of people. Um, and and here's what happens for a lot of us is you know we you can think back and maybe find something similar to this in your own drinking journey. Um, but there's a time when you said, "Man, I had a really stressful day. <sighs> I need a drink, right?" Or that was really intense. I need a drink. Generally, it starts with negative emotions, um, and then we we have a drink, and that perceived benefit that we get in that first 20 minutes with the blood alcohol content rising, we say, "You know what? This is helping me. Uh, your brain is registering. This is helping me de-stress. This is helping me get rid of that tension. This is helping me uh, let go of that anger, right? Whatever your reasons are, um, and you might do that a few more times, and then eventually something else comes up. So maybe the first time you were stressed out, maybe the second time you got in a fight with your wife, um, and you're like, "Man, I could use a drink to calm down." Now, boom, you're going to have that association next too, right? Now you're associating de-stressing and getting, uh, you know, blowing off steam with uh, with alcohol. Um, and the longer this goes on, the more things get added to that list, and the more things get added to that list the fewer things that we're actually working on to overcome without alcohol. Um, so what can happen in a lot of cases is we get to a point where we're like, I literally don't know how to take care of myself without drinking. Um, that's absolutely where I was. I did not know how to maintain a positive mindset without drinking. I didn't know how to uh, how to live my life without alcohol, right? How to encounter any problems or resistance. Um, and that's really, really common. So first of all, congratulations on realizing that um, because it is a weird feeling. Um, for so many of us who thought we were using it for support, we finally find out that it's actually hurting us. Um, and so that's a good thing to find that out. But the other side of that is, oh no, now what? Um, so a couple of ideas for you. Obviously, there's a ton of things um, that you can do. The, my, my number one thing when people ask me this question um, is I put it right back on them. Like, what do you like to do? Um, if you already have things that you like to do, um, then start with those. See if you still enjoy those. Um, you know, and when very specifically around self-care, you know, there's this idea um, of uh, self-maintenance and self-care, this idea that um, what are we going to do for ourselves to keep ourselves healthy um, physically, to keep ourselves healthy mentally. Um, those are the things that we normally drop. Uh, a great example of this is going to the gym. You know, when you go to the gym, uh, a lot of people who are uh, somewhat regular gym goers, as soon as they get busy, the gym is the first thing that falls off the list, right? But if you deem that for self-care, if you deem that, no, you know what? I need this. I need this time um, because I can then be a better 
uh, parent, a better employee, a better member of the community, um, then that that is self care. And so, um, so first, you know, look back at things that you used to do. What were things that used to relax you? If you don't know, here's a great list of things to try out. First, and I've already mentioned it, but exercise. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It can be just a walk around the block. Um, but just getting out and moving your body and giving you know giving your your brain time to kind of reset and get out of that chaos that you're feeling um, that can be really helpful. Um, second is meditation. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. Um, a lot of people in our programs talk about it. Um, there are a bunch of apps out there that can help you. So things like Headspace, uh, Insight Timer, um, 10% Happier from Dan Harris has one as well. Um, so there's a, a ton of opportunity out there um, to find uh, free or paid you know, meditation help um, to, to sort of help calm down your brain. Um, next up is hobbies, right? Do something with your hands, get engaged in something. Um, that could be something as simple as a craft. It could be something larger like uh, volunteering at something like Habitat for Humanity um, or big projects around your house. Um, but figure out what is something you'd like to do and use that as your reset time, right? excuse me, use that as your time where you're saying, okay, now I am doing this for me because this helps me feel better. Um, no matter what it is you decide to do, um, taking that approach of doing this makes me a better me, doing this allows me to de-stress, allows me to deal with the tension of the day. Um, those are the things that can really help. But again, exercise, meditation, um, hobbies, and oh, I forgot to mention journaling, my favorite thing, journaling. Um, those are things that can really help and they don't necessarily have to be a huge time suck. Um, the last thing that I would encourage you on this is to recognize that it is a journey, right? You're not going to find one thing that's going to work for you for the rest of your life. Or actually, if you do, let me know because I'd be really interested uh, in what that was. Um, this is something that evolves. It's evolved for me um, and it will evolve for you as well. So just be open and deliberate about this idea, this idea that I'm doing these things to take care of myself so that I am my best down the road um, and you'll find the things that will help. Um, and, you know, if you try something it doesn't work just throw it out right if you even the suggestions i give you right exercise meditation hobbies journaling if none of that works for you then just jettison it and find something else um, that's absolutely okay this is your time and it's about you to recharge um, and again like i was saying in the answer to the first question it doesn't have to take hours a day right even just taking uh 10 15 minutes can make a big difference so i hope that's helpful um it can be tough, you know, it can be tough to figure it out. It can also be tough to fit in. Um, so when you're looking at, you know, what you're doing for the week and your routines, make sure you include some of that time in your uh, in your day to day life um, plan for it and make it a priority and you will find that it'll really help you. Um, so I hope that uh, I hope that helps. Okay, I am on question number four. This is the last one. Uh, any advice for newbies who hear the stories? Uh, I was alcohol-free for four years and started back drinking, or I was sober for 20 years then, dot, dot, dot. Um, those stories are a bit scary. I assume that thinking changes and your process will help us with this, but I thought you might have some thoughts on the topic. Yes, I do. I do have thoughts on the topic. Um, so yeah, it can be disconcerting, especially in early days, um, to hear people ha talk about this. I remember um, 
I didn't go to an AA meeting when I was trying to quit. I went about three months after I quit. I was with a, a friend of mine who was in it and he asked me to join him. I said, okay. Um, and I remember it was one of those anniversary meetings, which are the ones, you know, where uh, friends and family are welcome and people are you know, celebrating a certain amount of time alcohol free. And there was a guy who was getting a seven year chip. And while he was talking, he said, this is my 27th year sober. And I'm like, well, that's what happened here. You know, what, what's going on? Um, and he proceeded to tell the story of how he had 20 years of being alcohol free. Um, and then, uh, to use his words, he let his guard down um, and ended up uh, drinking again and had another 10 years of drinking and then quit again and then had seven years. So this was seven contiguous years for him, uh, but 27 years total. Uh, and so those sort of stories can really hit you. You can be like, man, is this the way it's going to be? Um, now, uh, of course, the tools and the ideas that we teach you at This Naked Mind are about changing your thinking about alcohol. Um, this is not about white knuckling it. So this idea of letting your guard down sort of implies this fact that it's taking effort for you not to drink. Um, the fact of the matter is I drink and I can speak for any on this too. Both of us drink exactly as much as we want to every day. For us, that happens to be zero, right? And that is because uh, we looked at what it meant in our lives uh, and we have worked to change our thinking around it. Um, and that's what you will do too in these programs. Um, now, that being said, it doesn't mean that that is a panacea, that forever you'll, or that you'll never have this problem again. You won't be tempted as soon as you quit, you know, once you quit drinking, you'll never be tempted or think about it again. No, of course you will. Um, but the fact is that the tools and the tactics that you get from us are designed to help you with that. So uh, if you're in one of our programs you've heard of, we talk about the ACT technique. That is a way of dissecting the thoughts, uh, the beliefs and stories that you tell yourself um, so that you end up in a situation where you are... Um, ready and able to take advantage uh, of the data that's around you to say, all right, what, what was the trigger here, right? What can I do about this? How can I use this to improve my situation and not be triggered again? Um, so yes, it's true that, you know, there may be times in your life longer term where you feel like, you know, where you might be tempted uh, to, to drink, um, but you will have the ability and the tools and the skills um, to think through that instead of just falling into it. Um, finally, and just sort of my last piece on this is, you know, this idea that you're white knuckling it and putting an effort forever. Um, I don't know, to me, that sounds miserable. Um, and that was one of the things that attracted me to the naked mind approach in the first place. Um, you know, I can tell you right now on this call that I'm not going to drink today. I am not going to drink next week, uh, but I can't tell you what I'm going to be doing five years from now. Uh, like in the question from earlier, you know, I have no idea where I'm going to be or what I'm going to be doing. Um, what I can tell you is as of now, I feel like I never want to drink again. Uh, and that works for me, you know, and forever, I'm at a place now where forever doesn't scare me and my life no longer revolves around alcohol. Um, and I think that's the shift that a lot of people see when they go through this process. Um, and that's the shift that you're going to see when you go through it as well. Um, so yes, there may be bumps down the road. There may be challenges. Actually, no, there, it's not that there may be. There will be bumps down the road. There will be challenges. That's how life goes. But the fact of the matter is you're going to have the tools and the ability to address them when they come up um, so that you are, uh, you're not just white knuckling it through, um, so that you're actually catching that thinking pattern and working on it and consciously deciding where to go next. So I hope that's, uh, I hope that's helpful. 
And that's it for me, folks. Thank you for hanging out with me uh, for the last uh, 25, 30 minutes or so. Uh, I love doing these podcasts. Um, As always, uh, I am here to help you. Um, So if you do have questions, feel free to tag me in the the main Facebook group, uh, the the Snake and Mind Facebook group. Um, would Would love to hear from you. And until next month, I'll see you later. Take care. Hey, guess what time it is? This only happens a few times a year, and right now is open enrollment for this Naked Mind intensive coaching program, and there's nothing like it. Over 12 weeks, you look inward and truly transform your relationship with alcohol with live coaching and a phenomenal tribe. If you are looking to break through and make alcohol small and irrelevant in your life, the live coaching intensive is exactly what you need. Learn more and consider joining me here at thisnakedmind.com forward slash coach. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.